You're listening to the Naptime Empires podcast with my mom, Nikki Ellidge Brown. Mom, your show's on. Thanks, bud. I got it from here. Welcome to the Naptime Empires podcast, refreshingly honest conversations on the realities of parenthood and entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Nikki Ellidge Brown. Let's get started. Just a quick heads up, as you can tell by the title of this episode, we're talking about some serious issues, some lighter issues too, of course, but if little ears are around, you just want to be mindful, or if this postpartum depression is something that is fresh that you're going through right now, obviously, if it's helpful to you to hear other people's stories and know that you're not alone, I'm so glad that you're listening. But if it's too fresh for you right now, it might be painful to hear someone else's story, then just be mindful of that. Guard your heart and know that there is support out there. I'll put some links in the show notes over at naptimeempires.com for you as well. But before we dive into the conversation, I want to give you a quick intro of our guest today, Alexia Vernon. Branded a Moxie Maven by the White House Office of Public Engagement, Alexia is a women's leadership speaker and a speaking coach to executives, startup founders, entrepreneurs, author, and change agents. As a speaker, Alexia has spoken for Fortune 500 companies at prestigious industry events like Inbound and at the United Nations, and her clients have similarly spoken on some stages like World Domination Summit, Entrepreneurs Association, TEDx stages around the world. She's the creator of the Your Spotlight Talk virtual speaking program and the Spotlight Speakers Collective, which is a high-level mastermind for entrepreneurs who want to use speaking to radically and positively grow their businesses and build their platforms. We met online, like I've met most of my biz buddies and most of the guests that are on the show, and just through various mom and entrepreneur groups. We did briefly meet in person because we had lunch together at some point in Vegas, like a big group lunch at the 90-day year event in 2016, which is where I met so many other of my biz buddies in real life who have also been on the show. But when we really connected was when Lex reached out with an email and she shared something that our mutual friend Natalie McNeil had shared with her just about the multiple six-figure level of business being one of the loneliest places to be. It's, again, probably like I call biz puberty because a lot of people in your programs, even your friends who emerge from them, may not quite be there yet. And then a lot of your other peers are like getting up there in the seven-figure territory because they've been able to be a little more mobile because maybe they don't have kids yet. Anyway, she could tell that I was in a spot. You know, I talked about this in the real talk on the biz baby blues episode where I was just kind of in a funk and I know that she was picking up on it and she just reached out to be like, Hey sister, let's connect. And so we ended up setting up a Skype date and then I was like, Hey, let's record it and make it a Naptime empires episode. And that is the conversation that follows. I'm so glad that we recorded it because I think, I don't think I know that this is going to be so valuable and so helpful and comforting to so many women who have experienced or may experience postpartum depression. And that's not all we talk about. But in this conversation, we talk about how she shifted from one-on-one hustle and launch mode to a more leveraged and predictable business model. We talk about how she felt total defeat from not having the birth that she had planned. You know, those three-page birth plans don't always go how you expect them to. 
her story of experiencing postpartum depression after her daughter's birth, the things that she did to plan and baby-proof her business, and what she would have done differently looking back, the ups and downs of launching her first digital course. She shares some really just truthful insights on the pitfalls of the comparison game and how even what looks like a successful launch from the outside can still feel like a failure from the inside. I even share, again, more of my own 2016 story of just feeling kind of blank and detached from my business after Deacon was born. We talk about how important it is to get help and support and how it makes you strong, not weak. Hashtag bring the village back. She talks about tips for managing time and expectations realistically, like actually being honest about the amount of time it takes you to do stuff, prioritizing your revenue makers, the rundown on her virtual team, so who she has helping her and the different things that they do, and then the value in being open and honest when really all you'd rather do is just hide out from the world. So again, this is a deep conversation, a valuable conversation. I just want to make sure you're in the best space to be able to hear her message. And my hope and intention is that if this is something that you're going through right now, this conversation just helps you feel less alone, more normal, and encouraged to reach out and get the help and support that you need. Enjoy. All right, Lex, thank you so much for allowing me to record this conversation. We were just going to have a little phone or Skype date anyway, and I was like, wait a second. I have a feeling we might as well record it because I have a feeling it's going to be helpful. So thank you so much for being on. My pleasure. I'm excited for us to be able to dive deep into some of the stuff we've been talking about offline. Yeah, it's all good stuff. And so just to kick off the conversation, and I would love to know more about this selfishly too, just can you paint the picture for us in terms of like how your business evolved and then when your little lady joined the picture, you know, because some people, the little ones came first, well, like with me and I started my business when Bryson was 18 months old, but I know that was not the case. So if you'll just kind of lay it down so that we can see your window, your frame of reference over there. Absolutely. I hung out my shingle back in 2007. And when the shingle was first put out, my business looked remarkably different than what it looks like today, both in terms of content, how I worked with people and scale. So initially, I thought I was going to be a career coach. And I had a variety of different clients that I worked with one-on-one and was constantly in that mode of having clients for three to six months. I would hustle really hard to get a bunch of clients in. They would all complete around the same time. And then I would be back into that hustle. 2007 is somewhat significant because if we think of the U.S. economy at that time, everything really erupted in September 2008, right after my husband and I got married. And suddenly, after a year of really great traction, what I recognized was, ooh, people have zero money if they're in career transition because now it's not by design, it's by default. Yeah. And had to pivot. I feel like pivot has become... (laughs) Always makes me think of the Friends episode. Right? (laughs) But I then started to look at how I could work with organizations. So my background had been in education and leading professional development. And while I was building my business, I also had a lot of income coming in from being an adjunct teacher, much like you. Yes. Uh, I taught women's studies for one university. I taught public speaking and theater for another university. And through that was doing a lot of education conferences, had been speaking since I was 19 years old when I won a competition. So that all felt very comfortable. And that's when I really started to be much more intentional about 
doing work with organizations, the topic that I got pegged with relatively early was how to onboard young professionals into the workplace, how to be able to develop their talent and their leadership. And I won't go on and on about this, but I think it's useful to share that I was hustling really, really hard up until about a year and a half before my daughter was born. And that was when I started to finally hit my stride. It's when I crossed the six-figure mark. But everything that I was doing was very transactional and very offline. It was me getting in a room with people and I would either speak or train. At that point, actually, a lot of my coaching had died off truthfully. And a little bit of coaching that I was doing was around public speaking, but there was no big program for how I did that. And right when I got pregnant with my daughter, not intentionally was the same time, or I should say that the pregnancy was not intentional. The program launch was Um, created an offline nine month women's leadership program here in Las Vegas, Nevada, where I live. And that was great in terms of revenue for nine months, but also really scary because suddenly in the middle of this program, I knew I was going to be giving birth, did not know exactly when that would happen. Hopefully not during one of our live days since we had one of those each month. Oh my God. Uh, Knew that I needed to get off the corporate speaking and training wagon. So I didn't book myself any gigs for about three months. Yeah. And I don't know if we've ever talked about this, but... Within six weeks of giving birth to my daughter was fully thrust into postpartum depression. Mm. And while postpartum depression looks really different for everybody and comes from for different reasons, I know in hindsight, my daughter's almost three at this point. So it's been a while, fortunately, since I was there, but that it was a few things colliding. One, I had a difficult childbirth. It was completely off my birth plan. I had this three-page birth plan of exactly how I wanted my hippy-dippy birth to go, and it did not go that way. I wound up being induced, and fortunately, my daughter was healthy, which I know in hindsight is all that matters, but at the time, I was feeling very victim-y that I didn't get the birth that I had been told in documentaries I was entitled to have. Coupled with some of my own chemical stuff that got really out of whack, not being able to breastfeed, which felt like a total defeat. I just had some infections and after a lactation consultant tried to help and nothing was working, the hormonal imbalance that ensued from stopping rather dramatically and then getting really sick. I think that the other piece that is huge for a lot of people who are probably listening to this is that I thought that I was going to, with the exception of this program I was doing once a month, slow down for six to 12 months. Once she got here. Once she got here. And all I could think about was how desperately I wanted to go back to work because I felt successful doing that. And I Mm. felt like such a failure as a mom. Yeah, well, that's yeah. years later. That still hurts to say, but it's true. And that was when I a hundred percent pivoted to creating an online business and true to the Naptime Empire's title was not in a position to bring in a nanny during that time, just mm-hmm. financially, especially after my husband wound up taking a period of absence from work to be able to stay home with me and help me get healthy and make sure that our daughter was well taken care of. Yeah. But I knew that I didn't want to compromise my ambition. I had a ton of it. And so here we are three years later with a business that is radically different. I now work primarily with entrepreneurs and change makers and authors and media personalities who want to use speaking to build their businesses. I still do quite a bit offline in intensive weekends. I have a high level mastermind 
And I also have virtual programs, but I built all of it with totally inadequate childcare um, (laughs) over the last three years. But I'm happy to say I feel like I'm in a really good place, although there's been a heck of a lot of road bumps along the way. Okay. Well, there's so much there. And thank you so much for sharing all of that because I totally know that someone listening is like, oh my gosh, me too. And I'm so glad that she shared that and said it out loud because maybe they haven't been able to articulate it. So I want to rewind back because you were saying that you were setting up that nine month program. So you weren't planning to get pregnant. She was a surprise. Well, because I think everything can be planned. Ha ha ha. Right. We were planning to get pregnant. We thought it would take a while and that most likely we could plan it so that in the three month period in between cohort cycles, I could deliver. (laughs) (laughs) Without being too graphic here, the first time we practiced without protection, I got pregnant. So. Okay. She was ready to come on. Yeah. Ready to come out. And it's funny because we looked at each other and again. I don't want anyone to be horrified at all, but we kind of knew. Yeah. We're like, I don't know. I feel like she's ready to come out and I feel like that might've been it. And sure enough, I was speaking at a conference two and a half weeks later and I knew she was, she was ready to come out and we were pregnant. That is amazing. Well, and since we're sharing TMI, I might as well then match your TMI with mine, which is, (laughs) because I've shared it on my blog before, we had... We had Bryson and then we had what's called a chemical pregnancy, mm-hmm. which is basically when you you can get a positive test. But if I hadn't taken the test, I never would have known basically that technically it was like a pregnancy, but I would have just never known it. I would have just thought, oh, I was just a few days late basically. So that was like emotionally hard, not physical hard, but emotionally because I was like, oh, wait a second. Because I knew I could tell something was up. And then later in October, 2014, I had an actual miscarriage. And so Jeremy was going to be deploying in 2015. And I'm very thankful that getting pregnant for us, pretty much as soon as we talk about it, it happens. But then having two losses, we were like, okay, well, I don't want to try again. You're going to be deployed and whatever. So I found myself as he was preparing to leave for deployment in 2015, I was kind of getting resentful at people talking about, I mean, there's so much that comes with miscarriage. Like there's just so much emotional stuff when you see people talking about pregnancy or even planning pregnancy. And you're just like, dude, it's not something you could just plan, you know, or even if you Mm -hmm. can, and there's just so much with it. And I started to notice myself feeling resentful that I wasn't going to be able to even try for another like seven or eight months, obviously, until my husband was home. And so the TMI part is the night before he left for his deployment, I was like, you know what? who are we to micromanage? What if God wants to give us another little one sooner rather than later? And so sure enough, Deacon was actually conceived like literally the night before Jeremy left for deployment. And so I was nine weeks pregnant before I could even tell him because he went straight out on a mission on his deployment, which means no communication whatsoever. So he then popped up in Malaysia and Bryson and I had an ultrasound picture to show him and be like, surprise, we're having a baby. So we went from you know, totally normal, like just the three of us to then when Jeremy got home from deployment, I was 30 weeks pregnant at the pier and everyone was like, wait a second. Cause you know, the whole like two weeks doing the math. And that was like a joke with his friends. But anyway, sometimes when there's a little spirit, that's just ready to come join the party, then there's, you know, there's nothing you can do to plan around that. So, okay. So once you found out though, cause this is another thing, that I know a lot of people are scared to, regardless of how they are planning to have 
kiddos, you know, maybe if it's through adoption or whatever, it's still something that people are like, uh, how's this going to affect my business? So you had Mm -hmm. kind of hit your stride. So even though you were intentionally creating that space to bring a little one into your life, it's still kind of like, oh crap. Okay. How do I prepare for this? So what were the things that you were doing? And even then you, there's no way yeah. to prepare because you learn as you go, obviously. And there are things you can't plan for. I'll be 100% honest that yeah. I prioritize 100% my delivery. Okay. And when I look at that, I'm like, what was I thinking? Yeah. Like no matter what your delivery looks like, whether it's perfect, whether it's a hundred percent what you don't want yeah. or it's something in between. It is still most probably 48 hours, hopefully less. Yep. And so I spent a heck of a lot of time taking my husband to hypnobirthing classes, mm-hmm. learning everything about oils. I mean, like doing all of that stuff in terms of my business. The one thing I did that I'm so grateful for is I put away $40,000. I don't know why I settled on that amount. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I could just put away $40,000. Like if we, if I don't want to work for a year and my husband wants to take some time off, like that's kind of what our living expenses will look like. Now I need to say I live in Las Vegas. So I realized that dollar amount would need to be a lot higher for most people. Yeah. But the thing I did not do is I did not create any passive income coming in, Mm -hmm. which, you know, coulda, woulda, shoulda. But because my business was 100% offline, what it meant was that if I wanted to make money, I had to do things to make money after. I couldn't run a Facebook ad to something. I mean, at that point, I don't even think there were Facebook ads or if there were, I didn't know about them. Yeah, there was, there was no income other than if I did something, it could make income. So that was why as soon as, I mean, there were some dark conversations on the floor, talking to the big guy upstairs saying, if you get me out of this, I promise that I will play bigger. I promise Mm -hmm. that I will provide for my daughter. And I promise that I will be more present to opportunities that I'm letting pass by because I am somebody, unfortunately, where if I didn't feel like I knew how to do something, I just didn't do it. Mm. And I'm not naturally techie. And so while all of my buds were building these multiple six figure, in some cases, seven figure, in one case, eight figure business, I would say, well, I don't know how to do that myself. And if I don't understand it, I can't delegate it because I can't supervise that person who will be doing it. So I let go of all of that pretty much within a two week period and said, okay, I'm going to take some of that $40,000 and I'm going to start finding a virtual team, a small team that Mm -hmm. I'm paying hourly so that I can start to build an online business. And the first thing that I did completely during nap times, with the exception of some days, my mom would come over and help watch my daughter was create an online program called Your Spotlight Talk. So during those nap times, I was writing the curriculum. I was doing the scripts for the videos that I would record. I was enrolling in programs to learn what is this launch business I hear so much about, but have only been seen from the outside, never really from the inside. That summer, so it was about four and a half months postpartum, I enrolled in a mastermind so that I have a mentor who really understood the tech stuff guiding me along the way. And then seven, eight, 
math on the spot is not so good for me, but yeah. postpartum was when I did my first launch of the program. And I can say this because I think that there's a lot of people who are probably listening. I thought that because I had some hot affiliates and I was doing perfect launch execution strategy that during my pre-launch, I was going to grow my list by 10,000 people. And then I was going to have 800 to 1,000 people purchase the first round. It didn't go that way yeah. <laughs> at all, at all. And um, while most people looking from the outside would say, you know, you had a multiple five figure launch, like you should be very proud of that. Mm-hmm. I was devastated. Mm. Very few people know that I had three or four weeks where I felt like I was fully thrust back into postpartum depression. So I'd gone on an antidepressant. I'd come off it within three to four months because I'd been feeling great. And I was totally second guessing everything at that point because I was back on the ground sobbing. My husband deserves a medal for not just sticking with me because that sounds like, well, you know, partners should do that, but his ability to coach me out of it. I always say that, you know, my husband is as good, if not stronger of a coach than I am because he listens to everything I do and just gave it back to me. Yeah. But after that, that's when I was like, okay, I'm done with unrealistic expectations here. Like if I grow at a snail's pace, I grow at a snail's pace. If I can only reinvest a little bit back into growth, that's fine. But I refuse to spend any more of my life putting a noose around my neck that's coming from expectations by comparing myself to my friends. Yes. And it wasn't like comparing myself to like famous people. Like for me, what was difficult is it was friends. It was yeah. people who were my buds who were killing it. So, you know, while I'm, I'm very happy with where things have grown and there's, I don't want to suggest that everything was rainbows and cupcakes after that first launch, because certainly there has been growth. There was one launch in there that was just a real pooper. <laughs> <laughs> Overall, I've gotten really clear on what I should be doing in my business, what other people should be doing in my business. I'm not perfect. Like I know what that is, even if sometimes I muck up my own formula and I've just allowed myself to, to go off plan. And if there's something that feels like it's what I want to do, I do it. Well, I love so much about what the pattern that I'm hearing. And and you mentioned the word surrender before we were actually recording but I love how you were talking about planning so much for the delivery. It's like preparing so much for the wedding and not for the marriage. And so preparing so much for the delivery, but not for the, okay, what happens when there's this other little tiny person who needs my help all the time? And again, there's only so much you can do. I mean, specifically for me, for my delivery with Deacon, which was a VBAC, mm. they say that the birth that you have is like the birth that you most needed or whatever with Bryson, for sure. It was a C-section. He was breached and it was definitely a situation of like learning that I couldn't control everything and that, okay, great. It was like perfect, super easy pregnancy. And then all of a sudden it was like, oh, that's not what I had planned. Okay. But it still turned out thankfully great. And I had a great C-section experience. And then with Deacon, there were just things that like, I was very happy with the experience overall, but afterwards I was like, oh, Right. Nobody talked about that part. I was not <laughs> expecting this, this part of the recovery, but certain things it's like, well, cause you just got to get to that day before you can even bother your mind with it. Like there are certain things that if you could see the whole staircase, you would be like, oh, hell no, I'm not climbing that staircase. That's way too much, you know? So you just take it like one bit at a time. But I love what you shared about 
just also about expectations because it is, I mean, this is like a central conversation to all of us and goal setting and the pressure that we put on ourselves. And especially as you're saying with like totally inadequate childcare assistance, how did you make it work? And well, actually I want to rewind and talk more about the postpartum depression piece. Mm -hmm. You were really in the thick of it for, was it six weeks? And what was it really that helped you in that time? Because I feel like there have been times this year when I've Googled it, like, Mm -hmm. is that what this is? Because I've been in such a weird funk of not really feeling motivated to do certain things or just feeling kind of blank, you know? Like without even having a way to describe it, just, just feeling blank, but like cognitively knowing I have so much to be thankful for. Everything is going well. Like Deacon and Bryson both, even though Jeremy's gone a lot, they're as easy as they can be, you know, like they're super chill dudes, but still I haven't been able to like find my spark. And so one day I was literally just Googling it as if putting a label on it would Mm -hmm. automatically help make it better. And so I don't really know if maybe I had, if I've had a sprinkling of it throughout the year, but I'm wondering for you, what was that experience like and what helped you climb out of it? If that's even the right terminology, I wouldn't even know. It is. And I want to preface by saying, I think my experience is in some ways more dramatic and quickly resolved than most people's. Mm. And what I mean by that is, The day after I delivered and came home from the hospital, my cat died. Oh, man. And while some people might be listening and say, okay, you know, it's an animal. For me, that cat I'd had since I was 19 years old, I delivered when I was 34. Like that had been my child. Wow. And while we knew it was coming, we didn't think it was going to be that immediate. And I had a lot of guilt that we weren't home. He, my husband was leaving the hospital a lot to come home and take care of him. But like, clearly he had progressed. And because we were not there, we were not able to help and intervene. And so I went immediately into just a situationally induced depression and grieving and my milk didn't come in probably because I wound up being induced. I was given every medical intervention I vowed I would never accept. Mm -hmm. So I now know a bunch of stuff about even if you need medical intervention, what are some of the things you could do? But anyway, you know, yeah, but what I should have, it was in seeing the lactation consultant and sort of her just hearing the things that I was saying about myself and my fears and like crazy anxiety that I had never experienced in my life. And I'd always sort of had a predilection to being scared of germs, but like I was wearing a face mask if I went out with my, like kind of off the deep end stuff. Mm -hmm. I had a kid who was sleeping that any parent on earth would just be so grateful for. She was giving five to six hour stretches within the first two weeks. And I would sleep like 30 minutes because I would just be up and shaking. So I presented every single symptom, but I was very, very, very anti- going on a prescription medication. There's a lot of mental illness in my family, both bipolar, OCD. And although I'd had a depressive episode in high school and gone on something, I held it like a badge of honor that I'd gotten off and I never wanted to go back. But there was one night in particular where my husband was finally going to go back to work the next day. It was around five or six weeks postpartum. He was out side of our bedroom doing something, watching TV. And I had a nightmare where I just saw these figures that were dark, that were covered in white capes 
with just the eyes cut out holding daggers and stabbing me. And it doesn't sound, I mean, it sounds unpleasant, but like in it, I just thought someone is trying to kill me. And I just wow. up and was like, okay, there's, I'm not right. I'm not right. I'm not right. I'm not right. So the first thing that I did was actually work with a homeopath and tested all of my hormone levels. And we realized that like progesterone, the happy hormone was at a complete zero. So we started with hormones. It helped, but it didn't help totally. So I did go on and I'm always very transparent about this because at that point I hadn't, I wasn't breastfeeding. Prozac was an option. I took a low dose of a sleeping pill. Mm -hmm. And while you can never say that something is totally over, truly within two weeks, I felt a hundred percent like myself again. Wow. I think for me, sleep was huge. I'm not somebody who does well. I don't think anyone does well with little right. sleep. But there's some people who are functional. And I'm that person where if I sleep like six and a half hours instead of seven and a half, mm-hmm. there's things that come out of me that are, I'm horrified by. Mm-hmm. So sleeping 30 minutes, like that just created a level of paranoia that puts most people in hospitals. And thank God I had a spouse and my mother lives 13 minutes away that were just there and didn't leave me alone. And, you know, fortunately I never had horrible thoughts about my daughter, but I worried that I wasn't able to protect her from the world. But for me, the delusions were never about harming her. It was about me being harmed and not being able to protect my daughter. So, you know, as soon as that stuff happened and like people were printing me out articles of postpartum depression, it was pretty easy to accept that that's what was going on for me though. And for a lot of people, because I think that I just have good postpartum depression radar that if I sense something's wrong with women who who I know who are close to me, I'll reach out. Not like I want to save you, but I think there's so much shame attached, particularly for women who come from privilege in many cases who are making really good money, who have loving partners who chose childbirth, but they don't feel the way they know they're supposed to feel that whether you call it postpartum depression or not, it's important to be able to recognize and to get whatever makes sense for you so that you can move through it. And one thing I believe wholeheartedly is that the best thing you can ever do for your child is take care of you. And people disagree with me on this as much as I I regret that I wasn't able to breastfeed. I know that even if I had been, the best thing I could have done would have been stopping and making sure that I dealt with the mental illness because breast milk didn't take care of my daughter nearly as well as I did once I was healthy and happy and whole again. Mm. Well, again, thank you so much for sharing all of that because, and I know I have a few friends who have definitely experienced it. And then many others who, you know, there's the baby blues and you just wonder again, for me, it was more, I guess, bizarre because my business has become like a baby to me. So I Mm. almost felt like it disassociated from my business. And that was the weird thing for me, you know, but like it comes in so many different flavors, I guess. And so I would just encourage anybody, if you're thinking about if this could be something and you know that you don't feel right, like just reach out to someone and don't feel ashamed and don't feel embarrassed about whatever it may mean, because it is what it is. And for you and for everyone who loves you, and especially this little being that you're charged with taking care of, like, it's okay. It's, it's, it doesn't make you weak to get help. It makes you strong to ask for help and to acknowledge that. And that is something that translates to even when you're doing great, you know, like even when all things are great, normal, and you're feeling like yourself, we still need help and we still need to prioritize 
whatever it is that we need. And I think that people really underestimate, again, even in normal, quote unquote, like healthy, feeling good circumstances, sleep, dude, sleep. Yeah. And that's why I'm like, no, seriously, I said in an interview the other day, like we were talking about childcare and having help and how I felt weird about it because we, I come from, my whole family lives in the same town. So I'm not used to having babysitters, you know, that aren't actually like it's my sister or my parents or whatever. And so it felt uncomfortable for me to have actual help. But then I'm like, no dude, once I had that help, I'm like, yes, I can't imagine what it would feel like to not know that there was another grown up coming in so that even if the, even if what I needed to do was go upstairs and take a nap, then yeah. I at least know I can do that. And Deacon's taking care of and being totally doted on and whatever. Otherwise I'm like a zombie and super impatient and I, I can be super snappy and nobody wins in that scenario. So, okay. I would love to transition then and talk about again, sleep, sleep wise when the little ones are sleeping. So you really truly did. Cause I was saying nap time empire is kind of mm-hmm. like a symbolic name just to kind of like this phase and season of life when you have little ones who are probably nap time kind of age, what did you do and how did you make it work when you were literally building this online arm of your business strictly during nap times? Because sometimes nap times don't happen or sometimes they're short. So what kind Mm -hmm. of things and tips would you have if somebody really does just have that finite amount of time to just go for it? That if you have specific goals that you're working towards, reverse engineer from those goals and be realistic about how much time it's going to take to achieve something and Mm -hmm. then just extend your timeline. And always assume, especially if you've got really little ones, that you're going to have three times as many sleep regressions as you think you will have. (laughs) Your kiddos... You know, let's say you have an older child who goes to school, who's coming home and bringing things home, that your little one is going to get sick and that's going to interrupt, you know, and it's not about saying this sucks, but it's about giving yourself more time than you think you will need. I don't have the same situation that you do, Nikki, in terms of my husband being gone where I cannot access him. But in terms of his job, he not so much this year, but Definitely during the first two years of my daughter's life, he would go away for like a week at a time or sometimes eight to nine days at a time. And he would oftentimes be told like, you're doing this tomorrow. So that was really hard because we hit a bunch of those stretches where he was working nine day stretches with one day off, nine day stretches with one day off, kind of out of nowhere, two weeks going into my launch. And that was when I was really clear. If I survived this, I'm bringing in a part-time nanny on the other side. Mm, yeah, And I did survive it. It wasn't pretty. I mean, I've worked well to some people who are not sleeping at all. They're probably like Alexia. That's an ultimate privilege. They were only <laughs> sleeping four to five hours a night. Like you had four to five hours of sleep, but for me, it was not great yeah. because I had that deadline. Had I known, however, that all of these unforeseen things might happen, I wouldn't have cemented a launch date where I had, I would have given myself more time. And I've learned now to create that reverse engineered plan and to always add in at least 10 to 15% more time than I think that I will need. The other thing that has really helped has been having virtual people who handle specific tasks. So my team at this stage, it actually was bigger for a while. And then I realized I had a few too many cooks in the kitchen. So it compressed a little bit. Yeah. But I have an online business manager who handles operations for me. And, you know, she probably is a little bit more of a Jill of all trades than she would like. But I really appreciate having that one primary person I check in 
with all of the time. We live on Trello cards together who has oversight in addition to me. I've got someone who handles, I'm on Infusionsoft, but all of my email management, all of my membership systems, all of my financial stuff, like that's Mm -hmm. great. And then people who move in and out are developers, designers, copywriters, depending on whatever project I'm looking at. But that has also helped because I actually really love writing. And at this moment, I may be doing a little bit more than I should be doing. Mm -hmm. But I also know that if I decide I don't want to do something, I have people that I can delegate to. Right. Which is so important for both sides of it. I mean, it's important to be able to have help. And this is the other thing that I feel like it'll probably come up in practically every one of these conversations is about getting help and figuring out how you can make it work because so many people are going to be like, well, I can't, I can't afford that. I can't afford that. And that's how you could easily, you could say that. And if you argue for your limitations, then you get to keep them, whatever that saying is. It wasn't, it wasn't mine, but I do like to think it to myself because I'm like, Nikki, just like you were saying, if you were just telling yourself, well, I can't do that, that they're doing because I don't know how it's like, well, all right, then you won't. So when you change your mind and you decide you do want to, and you do want to be able to get more done in less time, or let's be honest, even keep the status quo, but you automatically have less time because you are dedicating time to a human. Now you've got to get some help and you get to choose. That's the cool thing about being your own boss is you get to choose what that looks like for you and being able to bring people in. It's like, it's just such a big fat lesson in surrender, you know, and being able to be okay with, well, right. Okay. I can't actually do all of that by myself and read the big leap. You don't need to, mm-hmm. you don't want to. Oh, and such love, a good book. Oh yeah, it is. So we'll definitely make sure we link that in the show notes. If y'all have not read the big leap, I'm going to do that. But I also think it's so important what you said about giving yourself more time and baking in that buffer because it's so easy to be like, all right, I have one nap time. I'm going to do all of these schooling things. And then of course you're going to beat yourself up over it because it's just not going to happen realistically, even on a full night's sleep and like a green smoothie for breakfast and a lovely proteiny, you know, green salad for lunch. Like there's still only so much you're going to be able to do. And so the more honest you can be about what you can do in the time that you have, the better off you'll be. So you're not beating yourself up over not getting it all done. And this is inferred, but I just want to throw it in there. And the time it realistically takes you to get that task done, not the time it should take you, but the time it does take you. Like if you are somebody where it takes you four hours to write a newsletter to your list, it's not about writing it in two. It's about just scheduling yourself for four hours to do it before you have to turn it over. Because otherwise you're constantly competing against a performance expectation for yourself. That's just not realistic. Yeah. And again, you choose. And this is something, this really at the beginning of the year, I had promised right before I had Deacon, I did like a pre-sale of these workshops, the Beyond the Site workshop series, Dreamails, Social Studies, and Word Pickles. So it's these three workshops that I had pre-sold and I told them like, I just sold it to folks that were inside A Course About Copy and I told them what was going to be in them. And then I was like, all right, I'm going to do them in February. And then I wasn't factoring in the fact that Jeremy was leaving for another half deployment in January when Deacon was three weeks old. And so that I was going to be solo for the entire month of February with the boys. I was just not factoring that. And so I kept feeling so much guilt, even though it was a self-imposed deadline, but I had told these, it was like 30 something people who had bought the early bird. Eventually I had to tell them and I just made a video and I was like, look, y'all, this didn't happen. 
I don't know. Again, like I said, I just, I couldn't bring myself to do anything. I just did not, I was not motivated to create what I had been motivated to create big mouth talking, you know, on the webinar way back when before Deacon was actually on the outside. And it was so funny because the reaction I offered them, I told them, okay, I'm going to definitely do it by, I forget what I said. Actually, I don't even think I said, I'm like, it's going to be probably soon now that I've given myself permission to not do it right now. If you want a refund, I totally understand. The majority of them were like, dude, we knew you weren't going to have these done. It's totally okay. You're (laughs) worth the wait. We are a hundred percent on board and we will be ready whenever they are. It's going to be perfect timing, you know, and again, that's what dream clients are all about. But you have to realize that you're in charge of your deadline. So if you're feeling scrambled and freaking out about stuff, just check yourself and like step back and be like, wait a second. I'm actually the one who set that deadline. That means I can change it. And it's so good to catch that before you get other people involved with those deadlines so that you can give yourself that space. Because then if you beat your own deadline, great, sweet, bonus. But if you don't, then you're not going to be all upset about it. One of the things that I learned coming through the postpartum depression that applies here too, and it's something I say to the women in my mastermind a lot, is those times where you feel like you want to hide tell people that you want to hide and bring them into the conversation in a way that is contextually appropriate. Now I'm not suggesting you tell your clients all of your messes, yeah. but rather than defaulting on what you say that you're going to do, try to be honest and open up front, which it sounds like you did. Like these are your options rather mm-hmm. than like, Oh, that deadline was supposed to happen. I've disappeared. Nobody right. knows if I'm alive. Like that's the stuff that will totally compromise your brand that will hurt your business. But there have been many times, well, blessed lately, where I thought that I was going to be able to do something or like I'd announced I was going to create blah, blah, blah. And then I decided I wasn't going to launch that. So I've told my list, you know what, not doing that anymore. I'm changing direction Mm -hmm. rather than waiting and just not acknowledging it. And then people inevitably emailing saying, Hey, I thought you were going to do this new thing in November or whatever month it was. Right. Yeah closing the loop because otherwise it's just hanging out there. And it was hard. It was so hard for me to do that video. And I waited. I mean, you know, it was a leap year. So I waited until February 29th. I was like, (laughs) I'm giving myself till the end of this month. I can make it happen. I can make it happen. And I kept like, okay, great. I can do this. I can. And then I was like, no, I can't, I can't do this right now. And I just have to be honest about it. And like I said, even the like few who were like, okay, that's cool. Actually, I don't know that I need it right now anyway. So let's, you know, I'm sure I'll buy it later once it's available or whatever. And even they were so nice about it, but I just felt so much better once I was just like, look, y'all, this didn't happen. I don't know when it's going to happen because I don't know, but I, I appreciate you. And, you know, I'm willing to figure out how I can make it right for you. But right now it's just not happening. And that's, it was a hard lesson to learn, but man, once I let it go, it was so, it was like a total weight lifted. So, okay, well, man, that was a lot and it was, it was all really good stuff. And I feel like we could obviously keep talking for hours and hours, but as we wrap up, I just want to know, is there anything we haven't covered that you feel like in your three years of experience building a business with your little one around, like, are there any other words of encouragement or lessons learned or anything that we didn't cover that you would want to share? I could go on and on about this and won't, but there is one specific thing that I wish I'd given myself permission to do a couple of years ago that I didn't, that might be useful for folks, which is, again, might sound like I'm being an oracle of the obvious, but when you have less time, do less things for the world and just monetize the stuff that's working more. 
And I think a lot of people are terrified. If I only have, you know, one or two streams of revenue, isn't that going to be really dangerous? And it may be that you do want to have a few different streams, but let them be integrated if the thought of doing all of these different things is stressing you out. Now, there are some people who are multi-passionate and they do best when they have a few different things going on and that's great. But if it feels like there's too much, prioritize the stuff that it's I'm giving you two things to think about a feel your soul and make you happy and make you want to be alive during this time where the kids are young and it's tough because they will eventually grow up and you'll have more time again right. or two, especially if money is an issue that are income generating. I see so many people putting all of this time into being on every social channel and, you know, going to every conference. And it's like, not that there's anything inherently wrong with those things, but if you need revenue, then darn it. Put something together that you can ship out into the world quickly that brings revenue in, particularly if you're saying, if I only had money, then I could get childcare. Yeah. You can do an online workshop very quickly. You can, if you're a private coach, do a special where, you know, five people get a VIP day with you, whatever it is. Like you can ship those things into the world quickly. You just have to allow yourself to be okay with doing a little bit less, but doing things where people can actually give you money. Right. Hello. And it is very easy to hide behind all the other stuff and to just be like, oh, look, I'm doing stuff for my business because I'm on Facebook in a group where there's a bunch of entrepreneurs, but that doesn't necessarily mean unless you're actually having conversations with potential clients who are then paying you or those are customers or whatever. But yeah, it's easy to trick yourself into thinking that you're working and building your business when you're actually not. And yeah, I like that you said the two pieces to it though, because it also, it's not just about the money. And I mean, obviously, whatever your financial situation is, you need the revenue. But ideally, dream world, dream scenario, nap time empire, you're making money by doing something that you actually enjoy doing and that you enjoy offering. And that's definitely an important piece to consider. And you might be reconsidering all of it, like I am right now, <laughs> which is an interesting, you know. Hashtag biz puberty. I'm getting my PhD this year and I'm interested to see where we land because I have no idea, but I know that I know that I can. It's those basic skills. Like you said, I mean, it's very easy to make things more complicated than they need to be, but scaling back to simplify and get back to basics of, okay, what can I offer and get paid for that I actually enjoy? Nothing else really has to matter at all. And all grow right. your audience. I'm just yeah. going to throw that last one. And so many people have these big dreams and they launch to no audience. You know, make sure that, that there's a market and invest in whatever you got to do, even if you have to do little things to grow the money, to invest in a bigger way so that you have people who can work with you in whatever way that you're offering them. And speaking of that, working with you. How can people find ah. you? Where can we find you online and see what you're up to and learn more about the goodness that you're offering? My signature virtual program is called Your Spotlight Talk, yourspotlighttalk.com, which opens each year in January. And that's a virtual program for people who want to learn how to create, book, and perform their signature TED style talk or keynote or business presentation. I also have a free video training and I'll make sure that I get you those links, Nikki hotchotseeker.com that talks about a lot of the inner resistance stuff around how do you get comfortable being seen by an audience before you can ever even think about what would my message be and how would I go out and get booked? Mm. Yeah. That's definitely an important piece to make sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's that covered. 
Across social media stuff, I'm Alexia Vernon pretty much everywhere. Okay, cool. And yes, we will have all those links up there in the show notes over at naptimeempires.com as usual. And Lex, thank you again so much for sharing all of the above and before and for doing what you do to help the rest of us speak up and share our messages in a bigger way. Thank you, especially for facilitating this conversation. It takes serious ovaries to say, I've built a really successful business and I'm also going through some stuff and I know that I'm not alone and I want to open this conversation and not profess to have all of the answers, but to have my experience and to have buds who I want to dialogue with. So thank you. This is awesome. Mm, Thank you so much. This show may be over, but the conversation is just beginning. Head on over to naptimeempires.com slash Facebook so you can join my free... Wait, did I say free? I'm in priceless, rapidly growing community of Naptime Empire Builders for deeper discussions, behind the scenes scoop, and of course, updates whenever I've got new stuff coming up for you. NaptimeEmpires.com slash Facebook. See you there. See you next time. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 